The opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen and are for general information purposes only. It does not constitute any legally binding engagement between the podcasters and anyone else. Always check with your advisors to obtain your tax and your investment advice. Welcome to Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen, the cross-border podcast series. On each episode, we aim to guide you through the complexities, complications, implications, and advantages of having money and family on both sides of the border. Today, Darren and Elena discuss the ins and outs of being both here and there. It's all about mobility. Hi, I'm Darren. Hi, I'm Elena. And welcome to our cross-border podcast. Uh, my name is Darren Coleman. I'm an investment advisor, senior vice president, and portfolio manager with Raymond James in Toronto, and we're licensed both in Canada and the United States as financial advisors. And I'm Elena Hansen, owner and managing director of Hansen Cross Border Tax, a boutique uh, accounting and tax firm out of Oakville, Ontario, and we specialize in, uh, on clients with multi-countries tax obligations. Right. So we, we're going to do a number of uh, segments in this podcast series, Elena. Today's our first one. You and I both work with people that have money and family on both sides of the border and all the complexity and complications we that do, come from Darren. that. And so today I thought we'll start with a common situation we see, which is around mobility. People who've moved from Canada to the United States or United States to Canada and some of the more common issues and mistakes and tips that we can see from our experience in doing that. So we're going to talk about people moving in either direction. Mm-hmm. And we'll cover some of the complications that people see. And I think maybe the best place to begin is helping people understand or be aware of what is tax residency. So you may live in one country, but what are your obligations as a Canadian if you're in the United States, United States and Canada? Take us through a little bit of that for folks. Residency is the key concept of taxation because by virtue of being a resident, an individual is subject to taxation on worldwide income. Residency is differently defined in Canada and the U.S. In Canada, residency is determined based on a number of factors that are split between primary and secondary. Primary would be a permanent home, family, social, and economic ties. In the U.S., residency is defined under both the citizenship and the physical presence tests. Under the citizenship test, you're a U.S. resident if you were born in the U.S., got naturalized in the U.S., or in possession of a resident alien card known as a green card. This is irrespective of where you currently reside. The physical presence test does not require any immigration status. In fact, you can be a U.S. resident uh, even illegally if you meet the substantial presence test. Substantial presence test uh, is defined in the mathematical formula as days spent on the U.S. soil in the past three years. Although you may not end up owing any tax if you're a Canadian resident who meets the U.S. physical presence test, as you may be protected under the terms of the Canada-U.S. Income Tax Treaty, your U.S. reporting obligations may still be significant. Right. So this is, let's unpack this a bit. So Canadians are taxed based on residency. So if I no longer live in Canada, even though I'm a citizen, if I go through a process and become a non-resident of Canada, I move to the United States, for example, I stop paying Canadian taxes and I'll pay taxes in the U.S. Uh, not quite. You, you're going to stop paying taxes to Canada on your worldwide basis on your worldwide income. Even after cutting ties with Canada, you may be subject to Canadian tax obligations if you have certain income generated. Okay. Or trailing from Canada. Okay. But 
apart from some of those exclusions, the, the core idea is yeah, that I'm taxed on That's the fact right. that I live here. If I no longer live here, I can begin avoiding the bulk of the taxes in Canada. But an American is taxed based on citizenship. So even if they live anywhere else in the world, they're still going to pay taxes to Uncle Sam, right? Yes, that's very unfortunate. And that's what a lot of Americans in Canada come to realize, that despite of their lives and families and jobs, being all here in Canada, and despite of Canadian personal taxes being higher than the U.S., they still face U.S. annual tax obligations. The same applies to incidental Americans. Although I find that the U.S. did a good job over the past decade by offering various voluntary disclosure programs, initiatives, and amnesties by encouraging taxpayers to return or join the tax compliance pipeline in exchange for reduced or no penalties. So we have people that have been living in Canada their entire lives that don't perceive themselves to be American, but by virtue of citizenship, they still have a tax filing op obligation. Now we also have situations of people that aren't citizens of the United States, but they can suddenly become and have tax obligations to the United States. Right, so those cases would, would arise, uh, those examples when you uh, derive uh, U.S. employment income or, um, you know, you have rental property in the States right. uh, or a certain investment type income. So, and as I, as I said, you don't have to have a proper immigration uh, status uh, to, to be subjected to, to U.S. reporting obligations. And you mentioned something else which is important is that there is a tax treaty between Canada and the United States. So part of what we're dealing with is People who've moved back and forth, they need to know where are they supposed to pay taxes? How are they supposed to file taxes? And then how does the treaty treat the money that they've earned in one country and the other? So this gets very complicated very quickly. Very complicated. It? We suggest that you may not want to self-medicate, right? Like if you think you're one of those people, come and talk to, to an experienced cross-border tax advisor. Right. And so a friend of mine from Newfoundland has a great word. He says it's tangly. And these are very tangly situations. So um, you're exactly right. Getting professional assistance in these matters is absolutely critical. And let's give a couple highlights maybe of some of the more common entanglements that we see. So one that you and I see quite frequently is a thing called a PFIC. So could you just explain what a PFIC is for everybody? So examples of PFICs uh, would be uh, uh, Canadian mutual funds or other non-US mutual funds or um, uh, Canadian exchange-traded funds, uh, reference as uh, ETFs, right. or real estate uh, trusts, REITs. REITs, um, yes. Um, so, uh, again, those assets are held by you, Darren, your, your yep, team, or people like yourself. Right. They, they investment uh, portfolio assets. And from the Canadian perspective, they are easy. Right. right, they're very common. Canadians very common. Own these like crazy. And, That's right. and they're very accommodating. Like you don't have to be super wealthy to invest in them. That's right. right? So they provide a very good diversification. Which makes why they're so common. So many people own these investments. Yeah. That's right. From the U.S. perspective, they're a headache. Right. Right. But why are they headache? <laughs> PFIC stands for Passive Foreign Investment Company. So which means by virtue of holding your Canadian mutual funds, you are a shareholder of a foreign passive corporation. When you invest into passive foreign corporation, you're probably doing with intention to defer your tax obligations That's what to U.S. The government. That's thinks, right? They right? think you're doing something to defer something your tax to defer. And U.S. government is very angry about that. They, they don't want mm. you to defer. They want you to pay tax as, as income arises. Right. And therefore, they have this very extensive reporting obligations on any income generated in Canadian mutual funds or right. ETFs or REITs. Right. 
So we often get the situation where someone has been investing in mutual funds or exchange traded funds, as many people do, but because they're still a US tax filer, they're often very surprised to find out that their other advisor had put them into you know, five, 10 or 25 or 35 different mutual funds, each of which now has a very significant amount of tax reporting to be done each position. And there may be taxes due, but before they even get to that, they've got to pay someone like you to do all the filings. And so their returns suddenly become remarkably expensive just to create and file, right? That's right. And taxpayers do not like that. No. And that'll eat into their return and make them, we find it makes them quite unhappy. Very unhappy. And also taxation. You know, majority of Canadians, if they're U.S. citizens, they're probably not going to end up owing anything to the IRS right. just by virtue of, of the foreign tax credits and treaty mechanism. But uh, that's not necessarily the case if you're invested in, in, in PFIX. Right. So we've learned to find ways to invest portfolios to avoid this issue completely. So if we use a U.S. security or a U.S.-based ETF, IRS is much happier with those securities. So they don't cause the problem. So we've learned to deal with that. But there's other issues that can come up outside of just investment vehicles. Like you may have a, a husband and wife, they own a small business, they've incorporated it, one spouse uh, is, is an American. That business also becomes a PFIC, doesn't it? It may. When it comes to non-US-based corporations owned by Americans, there are several corporate tax regimes under the US tax provisions. We briefly touched base on PFICs. Another one is CFCs, or controlled foreign corporations. In Canada, there are benefits of incorporating a business. Until the recent uh, liberal government tax reform, we have even more of those benefits. A few still remain. There are lower corporate tax rates, opportunity to defer profits, liability protection. Those benefits become less valuable when a shareholder is a U.S. citizen. Right. We may have instances when the same shareholders face taxation under both PFIC and CFC rules simultaneously. Now add to this mix a Canadian family trust and it becomes an explosive as the same income can be taxed multiple times with no offsetting credits. And we also see situations where people are moving from the United States to Canada and some of the tax structures that they've created and used become very problematic in Canada. So that may be how they hold vacation properties or something like that. That's very different for an American than a Canadian. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the issue here, which we come across and, uh, and the complaints we hear that U.S. and Canada are so similar. Language is the same, mentality is the My same. My phone works just, in both countries, right? Yeah, that, that's just we watch it, the same TV right? Shows. So why, why tax law is so different, right? Why the vehicles are not aligned and they're not? Right. And so let's move into other areas where people get tangled up. So retirement pensions, retirement schemes, these are also uh, not portable as people assume that they often are. So we have situations we deal with where someone's in Canada, they've accumulated their RSPs, for example, their TFSAs, their kids' education savings plans. They move to the United States. Uh-oh, there's a problem. So what Big are some problem. of the common things you see with those? Big problems. So we always tell people, you know, if you're planning to move to the U.S., you know, you likely hire immigration lawyer in advance right. to make sure that your immigration basis in the States is, is correct and you're not there illegally. So why the tax issues only arise in April when you have to file your tax return? That's a little late, isn't it? Yes, yes. Unfortunately, you know, we, we cannot go back in time and make changes. You know, you, you're absolutely correct naming uh, those very common holdings which cause problem. Another issue which Canadians going to the States have to bear in mind is that U.S. federal and state tax laws, they're not integrated. Right. So you may be okay from the federal perspective, 
but you may be caught from the tax perspective. Treaty, you know, treaty is is a, is a federal law, mm -hmm. and certain states do conform to tax treaty, but others do not. Right. So that's important because from a tax perspective, you need to be aware of what's the federal role, but then what's the state the person's moved to. This also plays a role in terms of compliance with respect to securities law and how people can hold different accounts. So RSPs, for example, each state will treat the RSP slightly differently. So California, New Jersey will tax an RSP and treat it differently than Florida will treat it, for example. We also Florida see doesn't have, uh, well, yeah, you're right. It has securities law, right? right. It doesn't have state uh, uh, tax. Right, state so, so California. So someone moving to California will have to do some things to their RSP before they move that someone moving to Texas may not have to do, for right. example. We also see issues around the financial institution in Canada being able to deal with that person when they go. So for example, we don't have an issue if someone moves to Florida, as an example, but New Hampshire has a totally different regulatory environment that the Canadian financial institution has to operate under. There's you model know, one, model two, model three states in the US and they're all slightly different. That is very interesting because you know whatever you, you're raising now, even us cross-border tax advisors may not know. That is very common for us, that there's many situations, and in our podcast, we're gonna cover them, like inheritances and estates and other issues where there's this overlap, but then there's these gaps. So when people are engaging with these issues, there's usually, it's like a triangle, and there's a legal component, there's an accounting and tax component, and there's a financial and financial services component. And they're all slightly different, and they all touch each other, but there's different rules. And we regularly encounter people that, uh, tax advisors, for example, that didn't know that a problem was being created by a compliance issue. So one, is, one example we had several years ago was a lady moving back to Canada. She was Canadian, moved, uh, spent most of her career in the United States, moved back to Canada, and she'd accumulated a very substantial portfolio in mutual funds with Vanguard, and she had an IRA as well. And so when people are coming back, IRAs, which is like the Canadian, uh, the Canadian equivalent would be an RSP, she was told by her financial institution in the United States that she could not keep her IRA with them because the Securities Acts require the financial institution to be regulated in the same place where the client is. So a U.S. financial institution can only work with U.S. clients and Canadian Canadians uh, because and, and as soon as you go across the border, they can't regulate the advisor. So, so by U.S. client, do you mean citizen or you mean resident? And if, if you mean resident, do you, do you refer resident of this specific state or how does it work? So, okay, so just to simplify for the podcast. So the, she was moving from the United States and reestablishing her, her residency in Canada. Got it. And she is a Canadian citizen. Uh, so here's what happened. So the financial institution in the U.S. says, okay, you've changed your address to Canada. We can no longer manage your IRA. You have 90 days to move it somewhere else, so we're going to send you a check, less taxes and penalties. So we got in front of that because my team and I are licensed in the United States uniquely, so we can manage her U.S. retirement account, and we can take instructions from her. So we would not put her through that. So we solved that problem. But as we went through that, we said, you actually have a different problem that is going to be an issue for you, which is the United States will not permit you to keep the mutual funds you own because you're not allowed to. Only residents of the same country can own them. So as a now that you've left the United States, you are no longer allowed to retain these mutual funds. And that would have generated a multi-million dollar capital gain that she would have had to pay. And unfortunately, when she bought the mutual funds from Vanguard, she bought a mutual fund, which does not travel. She could have bought an exchange-traded fund, which is effectively the same investment, but it trades on the New York Stock Exchange. So it's the same investment, but the box it comes in is slightly different. 
the ETF is portable to Canada. She would have been able to retain it and continue to transact on it. So she was astonished to know that if she just bought the different version of the investment, she would not have had a tax problem. Very interesting. And her tax advisors had no awareness of this, and they didn't spot this issue when she moved. And I said, look, at the end of the day, it's not really on its face a tax problem. It's actually a compliance problem and a Securities Act problem that's creating a tax problem. So this is why I believe that, and you, I know you believe too, that people, when they are going through these movements, it's vital that they get a team of experienced cross-border tax, legal, and estate, and financial professionals together to make sure that nothing gets missed, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. So, you know, the order we experience is that, um, you know, the clients coming, uh, prospects are coming from either immigration lawyers or people like yourself. And uh, when when we're talking to them and we identify that they're not attended by people like you, right. we're sending them back or we're introducing. And yeah, no, you're absolutely correct that... Uh, this is not an isolated problem. Right. And my joke is usually by the time they find us, they look like that episode of Seinfeld where they can't find the car. They're just walking <laughs> around completely confused yeah, and lost. Because yeah. you're right, often they leave this too late and they wait till they get a letter or they wait till they file their tax return. So being prepared is really the best strategy, right? That's right. Now, another question on this is how common are folks like you and me in your experiences? Does every accountant know? Does every lawyer know? Does every financial advisor know all these cross-border issues in your experience? You know, uh, I, I find that the industry is growing. I finding that more and more people uh, present themselves as uh, experts. Yep. And um, that is fine. Uh, what troubles me sometimes is that they may understand certain aspects, but they're not well versed. Uh, you know, client retain you to provide um, holistic, proper advice and walks away partially serviced. Yes. And doesn't know there's a problem until that's too right. late, right? That is right. Yeah. So what, well, when we get into talking about death and taxes and things, that's mm -hmm. something we often see is people unfortunately don't know that they may have designed their estate situation in such a way that no one knows they made a mistake till too late to fix it. Um, so when people are moving, though, back to today's topic, getting this advanced preparation, having these conversations, and making sure that the move is clean um, is really the key part of this. Now, I wanted to jump before we close this idea of expatriation. We are seeing more people expressing interest in this, which is to really stop having uh, a tax obligation to the United States. Correct. So they're no longer in the United States or they never really were, but their parents were born there or they were born there. So how do they stop having that tax obligation? What's Is that an easy thing to do? They can just say, I'm no longer American and I'm, I'm done? Or is this a much more in-depth? You know, sometimes it's a very costly undertaking right. from the financial perspective, yes. uh, especially if you are wealthy or not uh, fully compliant with the U.S. government. Right. In other instances, it's a actually pretty smooth transition okay. uh, of losing U.S. nationality. Right. When people are interested, we advise them to see a citizenship lawyer or immigration lawyer and uh, cross-border tax accountant. Right. You know, it's it's a big step. It's a big move. Uh, it's a sentimental issue. Yes, that's so true. So we want to make sure that the proper steps are taken and nothing haunts them once they've gone through the process. And there can also be a big cost, right? So in Canada, when people are leaving and becoming a non-resident and stop to pay Canadian taxes, that's usually the last chance for the CRA to get that final tax bill. So that can be expensive. And Americans have a similar, similar well, different calculation, but they may have a similar cost to stop being American. They have very similar concept. 
yes. does not apply to everyone versus when Canadian ceases residency, you're likely going to be subject to departure tax right. unless you're, you have certain assets. So almost every Canadian that becomes non-resident will probably have to pay something, but not everyone giving up American citizenship may have to pay something. Correct. You're correct. And, and, you know, and again, uh, there are still, surprisingly, there are still a few loopholes in, in the tax provisions in the U.S. when it comes to expatriation. And, you know, every, everyone is aware of them because the existing law has been around since 2008. If you decide to go with expatriation and you come to your uh, tax advisor early enough, we may be able to do some planning so your expatriation, your exit tax does not cost you as much or if any at all. Well, it sounds like getting the right advice on this is probably the best way to keep that bill as small as possible. That is right. So in line with that, I think we're going to close today's topic because there's way more to talk about, which is why we're going to do several more podcasts. And coming up in the next few, we're going to spend a bit of time talking about things that are specific to entrepreneurs, business owners, do's and don'ts for them as they have cross-border complexity. Um, we're going to spend also time on education, kids moving to the U.S., and specifically um, the cost of funding school when you're an international student, which applies to myself and my family situation because my son is going to be attending a U.S. school next year. We're also going to talk about death and taxes, what happens when you pass away. And we'll also talk about divorce because that's the death of a relationship and some of the unique aspects that come about from those circumstances. Uh, and then the last one we'll tie in is for snowbirds because that's a very popular Canadian thing uh, is to escape the snow and ice. Uh, so there's some very unique elements that, that impact Canadians that spend part of their time in the United States. So these are the things we'll cover over the next several months. Um, and we're going to close it there. Elena, thank you for your time today. Thank you, Darren, for having me. We need people like you. Clients need people like you. And I'm glad that we can continue working as a team. Oh, we feel exactly the same way. It's wonderful to work with other specialists that have a great experience level and do wonderful care with their clients. So thank you very much. And we'll be back to talk to you guys more. Thank you for joining us today. This has been Two-Way Traffic with Darren Coleman and Elena Hansen. This cross-border podcast series is a production of the Acme Podcasting Company.